This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut. Every Wednesday, you'll be chilling with me and my guests, who are some of the quirkiest, geekiest people we can find on the internet about how they do money and life. Sit back, relax. We are a few days away from the weekend. Welcome to Chill Swift TFC. When I look at investments in different time frame, depending on the story for that investment itself, mm. I call it the, the story. Sometimes people use English, uh, more, uh, more difficult words, words, right? right? Yeah, they, yeah, they call yeah. it the thesis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the thesis story of your investment. La, right? or it's, it's, it, it is basically it's a story, right? What is your belief? So, for example, um, I love how you just did that. <laughs> Hey Coconuts, welcome to Chills with TFC where we sit down with the geekiest, quickest individuals to learn about how they do money and life. I'm your host Reggie aka Your Chief Financial Coconut and today we're going to talk about something I think many retail investors conveniently just write off, including myself for a while, the giant idea of macro. But can we really just not care about it at all? Especially when we vividly see things, you know, things are changing. How can you say that it does not matter? But the idea here is... How does it matter? When does it matter? You know, those are the real questions. It is not this or that, but how do macro factors and fundamentals interact? Yes, and I know recently there's been a lot of investment-related topic because it just feels like we are in that landscape, right? I hope it doesn't overwhelm you, right? We will go back to more story storytelling, lah, huh? but... but <laughs> <laughs> I really like these topics and I hope you learn some good stuff as we chug along on this on this uh, frontier, right? So today, you will be hearing from Yuin, Chief Investment Strategist of Lion Global and yes, not sponsored episode. I just had coffee with him and I felt like, man, this guy can really explain some of these complex things in a much simpler fashion. And you know, we talk about everything under the sun, right? Even US, China, trade war and the whole idea of time like this paradigm of time how do you evaluate different factors based upon time right so uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff i hope uh, you follow through lah, huh? it's quite heavy right but either way this is chill swift tfc Okay, so simple lah, huh? Uh, you've done multiple interviews. You have your own show. Everything. You don't need me to tell you what to do. You know, like, like because you're not just throwing jargons at me. Sure. Right? You know, you're you're really trying to like provide a frame of thought around it and all that. And mm. and I, I honestly feel it's quite rare lah. Okay. Right? Because <laughs> I don't know if you feel so. I I'm glad to be yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah because so. we are still new in the journey, right? Mm, 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 mm. And uh, for us, we also want to reach out to different target audience. Mm-hmm. So frankly, a lot of the events that I go to are distributors. Yeah. Like your Tiger Food too. Mm. And also, recently I also do more for like, let's say, insurance agents, mm. uh, OCBCs, uh, you know, panels and things mm. like that. So just a couple of weeks back, I was at Wisma. Wisma. Yeah, you know, mm. Wisma third floor, they actually converted <laughs> They converted the third know. floor, a third or fourth floor, or fifth floor, I can't remember. That place used to be where all the Japanese restaurants were. Mm. I don't know whether you remember. There's a food court. I remember, yes. Then at one corner, there's actually a lot of Japanese restaurant, uh, restaurants over there. They they changed it into like a OCBC brunch. <laughs> really? really? <laughs> OCBC went into rent for cheap. Uh. No, they, they, they got it and then they wanted to call this uh, integrated banking. Uh, so that's uh. retail. They make it, in a way, it's, it, it has got uh, food, it has mm. got books, it has got art pieces uh. and whatnot what have you lah, right wow. so that while you're doing your banking outside there's retail I think it's a trying new format, la, new la. format. they're trying new, yeah, format, new format not sponsored la, by the way yeah, not sponsored yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll get sponsored but, yeah. but not sponsored okay, yeah. okay interesting so, so they, they are trying new things so I gave a presentation over there mm. and these people are generally the older folks la, I guess because mm. some of them are your high net worth or your, mm. your mm. affluent clients mm. right mm. yeah so mm. At our side, we also want to reach out to the younger generation. We felt that investing is very important, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it takes time for you to build your wealth, mm. especially for retirement. And uh, 10 years can make a lot of difference. So it's actually easier if somebody starts off early yeah, in, yeah. in their life. I hope I knew that. Even personally, I, I didn't really take up personal investing. What was your seriously. backstory? What was your backstory? If you can share with our audience. Okay. Yeah. So the, the story is this, right? It's very interesting backstory, you know, yes. You know, I stumbled in a way into this, this industry on a bad note. So I came back to Singapore 
I remember it's 97, 98, mm. there about finished my NS because I have a scholarship, which means that I finished my, my NS obligations later mm. after my studies. And then my first job was actually at MINDEF doing uh, computing. MINDEF doing programming. Yeah, I was a programmer. Can you imagine? So, so ahead of your time. <laughs> so I stayed there for a year. It was it was actually 1999. And guess what? It was Y2K. So mm. that was a time where everybody was so worried, right? That, oh, no, after Y2K, a lot of systems will be down and what have you. So I was there, you know, patching up, going at night to different camps to actually patch up the servers. And at the same time, you know, in my daytime, I was doing some programming for, for them you know, coding and what I feel. And guess what? When 2000 came, or 99, 2000, the stock market was actually booming. Everybody was, was so mesmerized by the market, right? Because you can make money, and me included, you know, all of us, we, we went to the market, we punted. So at that point in time, obviously, we don't know much about, you know, price earnings or, you know, the revenue of the company and so on and so forth. For us, it's just... Uh, Oh, if uh, there's an IPO, you you subscribe for it and, and Chonga, you get money, right? <laughs> and the other thing is that even during the time, there were all these people with all kinds of uh, ideas. Mm. So some would say that, oh, you should be buying the four animals. Mm -hmm. you know that, and, and, Why and, is the four animals? Yeah. So at that time, there were some <laughs> companies like, no, they have like ego mm. and what have you. No, so they just randomly put together four, four animals, right? <laughs> And you buy them without knowing. <laughs> and they all what, die already. Yeah, <laughs> what, what was the real reasons for buying them? So, you know, need, needless to say, I lost a lot of money during uh, that time, uh, right? Uh. In a way, it was a good lesson. It was a wake-up call for me, but it got me really interested in, uh. in investing. So the funny thing was, I got step-by-step step closer to, to, to the financial sector. Just after a year, you know, the government decided to, to send me to EDB, mm. Economics Development Board. So I spent the next seven years or so in a civil service, but doing investment. Mm. inbound investments, getting companies to set up shops in Singapore. It could be a regional headquarters. It could be factories. It was interesting times, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you, you get this opportunity to talk to the senior management of a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. Manufacturing, you know, can you imagine the auto companies, the biomedical science companies, like even, you know, the top honchos of, uh, let's say, Olympus, you know, of, uh, let's say, ASI, Takeda, this whole suite of companies that I've met. And it was really interesting, right? So after you know I finished my my bond, you know, I decided that it's time to uh, maybe you know Make really money. pursue <laughs> pursue my passion. Yeah. Okay, and, okay. and that's that's how I stumbled into the financial sector. And and I was quite lucky, you know. One of the country manager of uh, CLSA. CLSA is actually a brokerage firm uh, in based out of Hong Kong. You know, at that point in time, it was actually a French-owned broker. HQ in uh, in Hong Kong. The Tokyo country head, actually, you know, he, he served his time in Singapore. So he knew about our system over here, our NS and our, you know, scholarship system. And he said, yeah, you're a bright guy, you know, let me give you an opportunity. <laughs> you're a bright guy. <laughs> so, so that was how yeah. I stumbled into the industry. I took on coverage of a, immediately, right? You know, he said, no, I allow you to cover this group of companies, the non-banks in, in Japan. And that's how I started in uh, 2006. So after three years working there, then I came back to Singapore after the GFC, the financial crisis, and I joined Lion Global Investors. And that, that was in 2009 when I really got into the buy side where, you know, instead of just research, here is where we are investing. Mm, you know, investors actually money, doing... Actually investing client money, right? Mm -hmm. So I was the assistant fund manager of a, of a Japan fund then. You know, it's uh, around a billion dollars in terms of AUM mm. or assets under management. Uh, not too big, not too small also. We did well for the last uh, 12 years or so. Before two years back, you know, I decided that uh, maybe, you know, I should do something more macro. Mm -hmm. So that was when I took up a role, a different role, you know, mm -hmm. as a chief investment strategist for the firm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's where it is. For my own personal investment, right? I should say the first part, remember Y2K, right? You know, that was, was the time where I punted. It didn't go too well. Um, <laughs> I was interested. And uh, along the way, I, I did invest in stocks, but uh, not having too much of a uh, success mm -hmm. until I you know I finally joined the industry, right? In 06 and onwards. And I realized that it is complicated, mm. but it's not as complicated as, as you think. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if you stick to certain rules and you don't get too greedy, and uh, if you do your homework, you know, you, you do get a, a fair chance. And I think in recent years, things, the odds are getting better to a certain extent because... Can you imagine in uh, 2000, when I started off, you don't really get a lot of information, mm. right? Mm. So today, you fast forward to, to, let's say, you know, in the last how many years, 
you have all kinds of uh, information out there, right? Podcast by yourself included. Of course, we are the number right? one. Okay, say, say. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then you, have, you guys have your own show too. Yes, right? yes. yes. Let's talk trends. Yeah. Right? You can check out their podcast. And and you yes. also have uh, all the sell side uh, mm. also coming up with research. You know, they do really good uh, research and content out there. On the internet, you get all kinds of uh, content. Mm, mm. The disclosures of the companies are much better. Mm. So if you're hardworking, you know, if you spend the time to to actually look at the materials out there, the information, and, and you take the effort to actually to educate yourself, you, you actually could do pretty well investing mm. yourself mm. also. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you're here to educate us, man. <laughs> <laughs> I got you in because because we had a coffee shop talk and a mamak, right? Like <laughs> we're chatting and then and I was like, oh my God, this guy is, is very interesting. Like and, and and you were sharing with me a lot of stuff in a more approachable, more palatable you know, a layman type of type of lingo, right? Which 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 I think is quite rare in the industry, like because there's a lot of industry talk, right? It's it's quite common with as with any industry, right? So it's not easy for someone to be able to kind of translate it to simple layman terms, right? So I wanted to get you in to focus on what you are focusing on today, right? Which is really like the whole macro type of thing. And because in the broader retail landscape, right, there's a lot of people saying macro. Not important one. Don't need to care, right? Fundamentals, you know, or like just trade, you know. And I probably came from that camp for a period of time. And then slowly, slowly, as I as I develop as an investor, I said, mm, no, 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 no. Okay, cannot like that. You know, those things are valid, but the, the macro environment does affect things, you know. But I don't have a clear frame on like what actually, you know, how do I look about it, right? That's why that's why we are here, lah, right? So, so, <laughs> so what, what actually uh, is macro or can you just debunk the first thing first is macro important right should I as a retail investor care about it well it, it does right <laughs> um, that's why you have a job right yeah uh, well, <laughs> well I, I've worked in both from a bottoms up mm. so sometimes people say fundamental sometimes people say that it's a micro and then now also for the last two to three years I've been working more from the macro point of view, right? Mm. So what's the difference? I think as, as a start, both are equally important and both will give you an edge. So when you say micro, what, what does it mean? It means, you know, when some people say bottoms up is more important, not important. I think it really depends on the time frame, mm. right? Mm. That some people look at. Maybe let's explain how a fundamental research, you know, as an analyst, would, how he will look at a stock. So generally, you know, in my last uh, maybe 12 years or 13 years picking stocks, Let's say Japanese stocks, it could be Singapore stocks, whatever, right? What we will do typically, maybe to look at the disclosures that the company would have. For example, the quarterly numbers, right? The quarterly results that, that comes out, have interviews with the management if possible. Mm. If not, sometimes it will be the IR of the, of the company. And I also want a management, please come on our show. Right? <laughs> I also want to interview you guys. Yes. So what, what we will do is then to take a look, right? at uh, what the companies are, are telling us. Sometimes, you know, uh, a company might have, a let's say, a medium-term plan and they will tell you, say, oh, you know, we, we intend to grow. Let's say, you know, this is, this is our strategy or our plans. We, intro we, we, we plan to introduce, let's say, product A, B, and C and this is the potential market, this is the potential revenue. Based off that, let's say, a fundamental analyst might Actually, you know, first question, right? Are these forecasts that the company has given me Possible. reasonable, yeah, right? Yeah. It could be too optimistic. It may not be, or it may be too too conservative. Mm. So the surprising thing is that, you know, different management have different styles, right? Some could be more conservative than others. Some could be more aggressive. The conservative ones could be because of uh, cultural differences, because he wants to set himself a low target so that he can meet it. Or, or, <laughs> you want to look or, good. Or, yeah, sorry, he wants yeah. to look good. Yeah. So based off that, you, you decide as an analyst, right? So you can calculate based mm. off whatever revenue, your margins that this guy is telling you, what kind of earnings this company should generate over the next few years. Mm. Let's say. Or if uh, on a shorter term basis, you can even think about next few quarters, right? Mm. Or next couple of years. So it really depends on the time frame that some analysts look at, right? So some funds have different time frames. Some look at things on a shorter term basis, some look at it on a longer term basis. But the method is generally similar. So based off the analyst then decides that, oh, let's say, you know, two years or one year or three years down the road, this company's, let's say, revenue or earnings is going to be doubled. All things equal, then, then presumably the market the price of the stocks could actually double, right? Or at least directionally, it should be better. Mm. So this is a bottoms-up kind of uh, analysis. Yeah. Is macro unimportant in this? Answer is no. Mm. It's just that the macro portion is already incorporated in the assumptions that you have when you are trying to forecast what the company is doing. Yes. Okay. Mm. So for example, if a company tells you, let's say, you know, I'm going to launch this new product, a new handphone, let's say, then you say, oh, but the market is saturated, right? 
and the economy is going into a, into a downturn and uh, there's too much uh, consumer debt in the system itself. People are actually borrowing too much money to buy all their luxury goods, their TVs and, and discretion, their discretionary spending is just way out of whack. Out of whack. Too much back, too many watch. With, with their income, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the economy is actually going to the downturn, meaning mm. that you could actually see uh, job losses, unemployment and what have you. Then you should actually question, is mm. the assumptions by the, the management or by other analysts of having this amount of uh, growth or selling this amount of uh, of uh, handphones two years or one year or three years down the road, are these assumptions still valid? So this is where the macro assumptions actually come in. Mm. So sometimes when analysts tells you, oh, from the bottoms up perspective, macros are really not important. I think- Yeah, I always hear that. It's, always it's, actually, hear that. it's actually not true mm. because part of the macro environment or the assumptions are already built in mm. into the models that analysts, they use to actually to evaluate the mm. companies that they that they want to buy or they want to sell. Mm -hmm. So that's first part. But there's the other form of investing is, you know, is probably, you know, from a top-down basis. So what do you mean by top-down basis? It, it could be your focus or your expertise is on something different. Maybe as an analyst now, you do not go out and interview specific companies, but maybe your age is in your readings about events. It could be that, right? So if you think about top-down basis, strategies or funds or products that focuses on different kinds of macro stuff. Let's say, you know, the most recent thing that we can think of, the debt ceiling, the US mm -hmm. debt ceiling. Mm -hmm. The question then is this, right? When is the X date? The X date could be 1st June or it could be 15th of June, depending on when they run out of money. Then the second thing is that would the Republicans and the Democrats actually come to some kind of a compromise, Consensus. right? Mm -hmm. And if they come to a compromise, I think, the most important thing one is uh, what are the conditions of this compromise? Because the conditions could be, you know, a huge spending cut over the next couple of years. What would be the outcome of that? Then the assumptions of economic growth would be much lower, right? Over mm -hmm. the next couple of years, right? So this is an event, right? Are we 100% sure that there'll be a compromise? The answer is no, right? Can we try to have an educated guess? We, we probably can. We can. So we, we can actually take a look at what happened in 2011 during Obama's time, right? We can look at the current negotiations that they are talking about, right? Mm. The contents of the negotiations, try to figure out to come to some kind of compromise, what kind of uh, contents would that be? Mm. Then you look at past experiences, right? In uh, 2011, what happened during that time when they had that uh, compromise after X date, stock market actually crashed. It actually dropped, uh, I think, 18 to 20%. The US dollar actually weakened, right? But does that mean that it will happen exactly as, the, as that? Answer is no, right? Because there will be other uh, factors that you, you need to take into consideration. So this is what a macro analyst would do. When there are events, you take that event in totality, you come to a conclusion, an educated guess. And depending on how convicted you are, maybe... The conviction level is very high. There will be a, some kind of compromise and that the content will be pretty benign. Then maybe, you know, if that were the case, then you, you could have a bullish call on, let's say, US stock market, right? Mm -hmm. And as such, you know, there will be certain stocks that maybe benefit more than others. So that what we call a top-down you know, analysis. And, mm -hmm. and from there, you know, it actually would cause you to actually have a, a different portfolio altogether. But the time frame now depends on the event itself, because after the event, maybe, you know, this is one event, right? So X number of days after the event, you have sold out mm, this portfolio, mm, move on mm. to the next idea, the next trading idea. Mm. So there are all kinds of ways to make money, to invest in different kinds of strategy. Sometimes, you know, people also can take a mixture of a bottoms up and a top down analysis, right? Yeah. The strength of both sides and marry it together. So there are different ways to, to do it in a different time frames mm -hmm. to actually look at a certain uh, issue. So in, in that perspective, I would say that both are equally relevant in the world of investing. Yeah, I, I like it. Although that was a very long way to say that all oh, is important. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying. I get yeah. what you're saying. Okay, then um, in the world of macro, right, there are so many indicators. I mean, okay, not that, not that micro got no indicators. There are certain parameters that, that we do look at from a from a bottoms-up approach, right? Yeah. And, and I think that one is a bit more discussed, you know, and that's not our main focus for today, right? And yeah. So... In the world of macro indicators, right, there are all these different indicators. Sometimes I feel like they got new indicators every other year or something like that, right? So what are certain indicators that you think uh, are more relevant that you should place your focus on? Because I really don't think all factors are equally weighted. Lah. So, so yeah. I think when you are looking at, let's say, you know, an environment, a market, 
and you decide oh, there's something brewing over there. You want to take a, so that there could be an investment implication and as such, you know, you think there's a bet over there. I think the important thing is to remember the indicators that you look at must be relevant to what you are trying to figure out. Maybe I just give an example. We actually do have a newsletter. Uh, the newsletter tries to summarize things in a, in a very simple story, so to speak. Last year, we were more bearish. The reasons are fairly simple, right? Let's say, you know, we are bearish on the US market. The story is quite simple, right? You know, you, you say that, oh, uh, last year, uh, 2022, inflation was high. The US central bank is telling you that I'm going to raise rates. So they started raising rates from, uh, from uh, March, right? And uh, they, they also- They tell you already, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so they also have uh, this uh, QT or they call mm -hmm. quantitative tightening, right? That will happen uh, last year, which means that they're going to restrict the amount of liquidity in the system, less mm. money in the system. Mm. Mm. So that's probably bad news for risk asset, bad news for the market, right? Well, it's, it's a fairly simple call, right? Meaning that when that actually happens, you know, you have less money to go around, interest rate goes up. Generally, when interest rate goes up, the, the stock market doesn't do very well, right? Fast forward to 2023, we are at the end of uh, the rate hiking cycle. So in May, they raised another 25 basis point. There are some talks, there's some probability that in June, there could be another 25 basis point or they could just keep it flat for the rest of the year. There's some excess liquidity coming back into the system again because of the, the banking crisis or should I say the banking hiccup in March period. So now the question in the market itself is this, right? The US stock market is now fairly, I should say, fairly resilient. Everybody is expecting that, you know, after such a major rate hike, uh, the whole of last year until this year, uh, 500 basis point or thereabout, right? Surely it will have an impact on the main street, at mm. least on the economy itself. The economy probably will slow down. And if it slows very quickly and drastically, you could actually have a recession. Yeah. Some people are expecting that it could be, you know, fourth quarter of this year. Now, in, in recent times, there are some people who think that it could be, you know, first or second quarter of next year. Okay, so and we is, see it, right? We see some anecdotal you know, friends losing job, you know, Correct. or we see some anecdotal elements there Correct. already. Correct. Yeah. So, so there's already some signs that the, the, the economy is actually slowing. But at the same time, the market is still fairly strong. If you think about it, in March, we actually have these uh, banking issues in, mm. in the US. And cannot say crisis. Huh? You cannot say, <laughs> well, it's, it's an issue. It, it, it kind of went through already. It, it yeah, went through. Like, okay, okay. So <laughs> what is the impact of that? The impact of that, you know, analysts are, are believe that the direct impact of that could actually be a tightening of lending standards. Mm. So meaning uh, bankers would now uh, be very stricter mm -hmm. when they give up credit, give up loans, especially to small and medium enterprises. Further so slows the economy. It, it will <laughs> slow the economy. It will further slow the economy. Mm -hmm. So this is the backdrop, right? But anomaly now is that the market is still fairly resilient. Mm -hmm. Valuations are still very high. So if you look at the US uh, stock market, the valuation is actually on the high side. 18 to 19 times expected uh, PE ratio for this year itself. What is a is, fair side? Uh, what would be your your own indicator? Look at it. Well, 18 to 19 times is, uh, you know, sometimes you take a range, mm -hmm. look at what historically has been trading at. So I'll hazard a guess that where rates are today, interest rates are, are today, is probably more reasonable to be, you know, I, I guess 13 to 15 times, mm, more mm. than 18 to 19 times where it's actually at the top end of the of the range itself. Mm. So how does it relate to interest rate? Let me answer the, the question first. Mm. So actually, because of all these questions that investors actually have, when you are taking a look at the macro environment and trying to predict where the market is actually going, the indicators that you look at for these circumstances will be slightly different, right? So you will be looking at, uh, let's say, the loan officer survey. You know, there's this thing which, you know, generally you don't, you don't, you, you, you don't really look at it <laughs> yeah. closely, right? Yeah, yeah. But in, in this case, because you are trying to figure out if uh, the credit growth or if the bankers are really tightening Mm. aggressively on the lending standards. The loan officer survey becomes really important, <laughs> loan right? Loan officer survey. Then okay. it could be things like, uh, let's say, you know, if you think of a recession coming end of this year, one of the indicators that, although it's a, it's a backward-looking indicator, you, you might want to look at the employment numbers, right? Mm. Because if the employment numbers, unemployment numbers is actually spiking up, it does show that companies are really not uh, doing well and they are actually firing people, right? So at current level in the US, the unemployment rate is still at a fairly low level, although it has actually been rising a little bit, but it's still at a very low level. So the indicators that you actually look at for different market at different time could be slightly different. Mm. But the important thing is for you to 
actually have a story, mm. meaning to have a, the questions, the relevant questions like to answer for the market to be going higher or lower. There must be certain things, right? You know, mm. there will be certain mm. things that you want to answer, certain questions that you want to answer. Like in this case, if it's really going into a recession, then you want to look at indicators that suggest that, you know, the, the, the market is actually turning or getting worse. So things like unemployment, right? Uh, it could be housing, it could be retail sales, it could be their PMI numbers. So there are certain indicators that, that people will look at but it's not every time you look at the same indicators, right? So in, in this case, you, you'll be looking at some of these indicators. It's fairly complicated at times, but if you simplify it, there are times whereby there are very clear stories. Yeah. Because right? not, not all indicators should be weighted equally. It's not just a macro thing. It's just sometimes where people debate, right? And then there, there are the main factors at play. Then people take some weird, weird factors on the side and try to substantiate a different narrative. I always find it very funny, right? And I, I do think this applies to macro stuff also, right? When yes, we think yes. about it. You are right. So for indicators, there are all kinds of indicators. Some indicators are, you know, you, you will call it coincidental. It means it reflects the current situation. Some indicators are backward-looking, mean, mm. meaning that, you know, your peers... Happen already. It happens already, mm. right? Then subsequently, you know, you gather the information. Yeah. Like for example, GDP numbers, right? Mm, mm, mm. Sometimes you will say, oh, the, the GDP in a, in a first quarter of this year is this number. Mm, mm, is it really mm. that important? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I will question that, right? I mean, it, it gives a glimpse of uh, how things were one quarter or a few months ago. So it's a lagging indicators. Mm, mm. Some indicators are leading indicators, right? So for example, if uh, uh, it is like uh, claims numbers, it could be something that indicates the employment market sometimes down the road. Or it could be, let's say, you know, what is the orders for, let's say, a factory, right? If if I put in orders, right? So if I put in orders, you see the orders numbers first before the actual production of it comes, you know, Mm -hmm. it it could be a couple of weeks, it could be a few months down the road. Mm -hmm. So orders are leading indicator of how production would be like, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. A a few months down the road. So there are different indicators. Some indicators, you know, are a so-called a a leading indicator, some coincidental, some backward looking. So not all indicators are the same. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, like you have just mentioned also, that they should not be weighted equal, right? So it's not as easy, Mm -hmm. easy as, oh, let me form, I say, a index. Mm-hmm. of uh, just 10 indicators mm-hmm. and then I equal weight it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If uh, five of them is uh, positive, uh, two negative and But and, it's and becoming quite neutral. trendy like that, like this, this type yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but actually, intuitively, you know that that's, know. Not, the, mm-hmm. not, that's not the correct... And that's uh, your professional view of it also. La. It's yes. like you shouldn't think of it this way. Like yes, correct. Put it into an index and then like this one rate, this one then become a point system. Like no, that. No, no. Actually, <laughs> actually, yeah, so it's dangerous. It, it, it really depends on the situation itself. So mm. not, not all indicators are equal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, interesting. Then what about time frame? I think time as an element has been repeated in, in what you were talking about. And it's also an element that I think a lot of people uh, managing money or doing business or that, you need to realize, you know, there's, there's this thing called time, right? How do you then look at it? Or like what indicators, are, you know, with the time element of it, how, how, do, how do I look at it? Instead of looking at indicators, indicators helps you to answer your question. Okay. So when I look at investments in different time frame, depending on the story for that investment itself, mm. I call it the, the story. Sometimes people use English, uh, more uh, difficult words, words, right? Yeah, they, yeah, they call yeah. it the thesis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the thesis story of your investment. Or whatever, it's, it's, it, it's basically it's a story, right? What, what's your belief? So, for example... Um, I love how you just did that. <laughs> no, because must pao zhuang, right? right? Pao zhuang, All must package, uh, thesis, uh, right? research. Uh. research the story uh, right? say story. <laughs> so, let's say a, a, a banking stock. Because of my licensing, I know I, I cannot give uh, recommendations on what have you yeah, on, yeah, on, yeah, on the yeah. show. Just for example's sake, there's a real case, right? You know, there's a bank. During the COVID period, you know, the, the government actually wanted banks to actually to cut down the dividend so to conserve the capital, mm. right? So you can, you can have uh, bank ABC. So it cuts down the div- dividend and then the dividend, you no, know, maybe it doesn't pay out dividend. So if your story is this, right? You feel that, oh, when COVID ends, there's nothing wrong with this, this bank, right? There's no reason why the bank cannot pay out the same ratio of its profit as before. Mm. So if a bank, whatever profits it has, it pays out 50% as dividend. And as such, you know, if that was your belief, then there's actually a time frame, right? Mm. The time frame will be end of COVID, mm. right? Mm. So one year down the road, if it reinstate the dividend, 50% payout, the earnings are fairly resilient for a mm. bank, even during COVID. And you look at it, oh, 
if they pay out 50% and based off the current share price that it has, you know, let's say whatever the, the, the number is, it works out to be like a 6% mm. dividend yield. Mm. And you look at that, oh my, it's 0% now because, you know, the government has forced it or actually it's, it's suggested to it that it cut dividend, right? But it can go back to whatever the dividend wa- it was in the past and it will be 6%. Mm, mm. Would that be attractive, mm, right? Mm, mm. So what's the time frame? The time frame would be and a point mm. whereby COVID is over and when the bank actually reinstate dividend or when they, in their communication, says we are going to reinstate our dividend. At that point, I guess the market will have priced it in, right? Mm, mm, mm. So based off that, then you naturally will have a time frame for your investments mm, then you decide mm, at this current share price if it stays where it is it will be 6% but you, mm, you think about it a bank generally maybe in, in the past it trades at let's say you know 5% dividend yield or, or what have you so the stock appreciation could be something like 18% or what have you right mm, some, some numbers that you, you reverse engineer then you ask yourself 18% or whatever percentage that, that is over a one year period is that attractive for you mm, mm, right mm, so mm, mm, mm. now you have a story a thesis it's mm. a bottoms up thesis right and there's a time frame. What if on, on the day that it announces and the dividend comes out and you realize the stock doesn't go anywhere? Yeah. What happens? Could, which means that your thesis could be incomplete. Mm, there could be mm. other factors at play at a point in time that causes the share price to not reach whatever target or fair value that you believe it to be. So with new information at a point in time, you will relook at mm. your story and adjust and see, you know, what is it that actually causes that? What are the reasons for that? And you relook at, at your thesis again or mm. your story again. Mm. So that's how you should be looking at the time frame, the story, and the mm. and whatever you know yeah, that the, yeah. the indicators are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Macro-wise, the same thing, right? So just now I, I brought up the uh, case of let's say the debt ceiling. Yeah. Right. So debt ceiling, when would that be? Mm. There's a time frame, right? Yes, yes. First or 15 or June, right? Yeah. <laughs> but things are fluid. So you you might actually have crafted up a, a thesis. Mm. or should I say a story or a belief, right? And you must have an edge in it, right? So you did a lot of work and what have you, you, you look at it and maybe your belief is that now at current, the two parties are even more at odds with each other vis-a-vis mm, 2011, mm, right? Mm, During Obama's mm, time. So what are the chances of them actually really compromising on, on good terms? Very low. If that were your thesis. You're wrong. Then, <laughs> you, you, yeah, then you, might, you might think that yeah. if compromise doesn't happen on that mm, day mm, mm, and you actually do have a default, governments don't pay out to social security, doesn't pay out to the doctors, don't pay out to the, the teachers and what have you, mm. what will happen, right? Yeah. I, I think it will be fairly negative for the stock market. And if that were your, your thesis, then, you know, Short, maybe shot. you you would have uh, shorted the market. Yeah, yeah. And then again, what is the time frame? The time mm. frame will be whichever day that, you know, the, the information comes out, right? Yeah. Let's say closer to 1st of June or 15th of June. If it comes to, to that period of time, new information comes out, then you should re- revisit your thesis itself. So the, the time frame that you look at really depends on the story the that story you're is. going for yeah so so there are okay. also some investors that are really long-term in nature right it could be an investors having uh let's say china plus one story have you heard of it yeah, yeah, yeah. so this uh, rivalry between the us and, yeah. and china i was just about the, to ask you that question so it could be a very long story right so mm. investors might ask if china is no longer uh, a preferred destination for a lot of these uh, mncs when they are investing uh, to set up their factories and what have you, then where do they ha- set up their factories in? It may not be back home, right? Because let's say if the factory is from, or the company is from, let's say US or Europe, the cost of labor could be very high over there. Mm-hmm. So they could be looking for the next, let's say low cost production uh, region with good labor force. Mm. So which is the next area that that uh, you, you should be looking at? It, it could be India, mm. right? Uh, it could be Vietnam. That's the story, yes. That's the story, right? So that's the thesis, right? Yeah. The thesis is that, you know, a lot of these activities will move to, let's say, you know, China plus one. Plus one means, you know, as a alternative yes, to China. Yes, yes, yes. It could be Vietnam. Mm. Then if that were the case, then what are the industries that will, or the companies that will benefit if this shift does come? But this shift doesn't come in one month, two months, three months, and it ends there, right? Mm. It could be a very long-term structural thing yes, yes. for the next five to 10 years. Yeah. So if you have something, to that extent, then you might actually, you know, be investing in, let's say, in India or in uh, Vietnam equities. Mm. Then the time frame will be much longer. It could be a two years, a three years time frame. But sure enough, even if you have a long-term time frame, 
whatever thesis that you actually have, you must always remember to keep revisiting your thesis itself, meaning that with new information coming in, is what you are believing in mm. still valid? Having a long-term thesis with a longer time frame doesn't mean that you absolve yourself of uh, doing hard work, mm. that you have to re keep revisiting. Uh, your thesis is every time new information comes mm, in. Fair, fair. So I want to ask you the obvious, the longest thesis out there today is the US-China <laughs> dispute, right? You know? Yes. And this is the major thesis out there that is being uh, developed, right? I mean, yep. all, all the biggest guys are talking about whether is it Josh Yola, whether is it, you know, uh, Bidahari, la, 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 almost, almost everyone is talking about it. I believe the financial market also cares a lot about it, right? So, so yep. what is your view on this thing, right? Like, US, China, is USD going to end? Is China going to open up? You know, blah, 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 all those things, yeah. I, th I think there are a lot of implications for, yes. for, for this story itself because it's actually quite a complicated it story. It is. It, 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 it makes it interesting, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, yes. Because there are a lot of uh, investment implications yes, for it. Yes, a lot. I think there's this topical thing, you yes. know, a, a lot of investors or, you know, you see even in the papers and YPO, people writing about the dollarization, mm, right? Mm. In simple terms, it means that, you know, the dollar gets replaced by, let's say, another currency mm. or a basket of currencies. Mm. But I just want to, to say that this is going to be a very long-term story. The implications of that is that maybe, you know, it, it really is not a very major uh, driver for, let's say, USD uh, weaknesses. Why people get so excited about this de-dollarization thesis or story is because the so-called Ukraine-Russia war, Russian reserves were actually frozen. Yeah. So... One natural question that comes to mind is this, right? You, you weaponize, weaponize the, your currency, your, your currency yeah. itself. There are a lot of countries who start thinking we could be friendly to, let's say, the Western powers, to US, to are. the European companies. Yeah. But if one day I fall on the wrong side, you know, we are no longer friends or what have you, mm. would, would then, you know, would I then lose the use of uh, uh, my reserves itself? Then that would be a big problem for us, mm. right? So if that were the case, then wouldn't I want to maybe, you know, instead of uh, having too much dollars, diversify and use other currencies and also store other currencies? It's a valid question. But I think at this moment, there's no one currency that can actually replace the US dollar. That's one thing. But on the side, you could actually see an increasing use of other currencies in place of a US dollar. So case in point could be, let's say the recent news about, I think the Chinese government was had a meeting with the Saudis. There was this news, I'm not sure whether you know it was reported, but there was this belief that some of these oil contracts, mm, the petroleum, purchase of, right? You, yes. you start to hear this So this uh, crude uh, oil purchases were actually priced of the in RMB, RMB, right? yes. You could actually see that happening, right? Especially for countries that uh, may not be so friendly to the United States. Mm. You know? so Iran, you, Russia. It could be, <laughs> yeah, all, it, it it's could like be, forming a pack. At this it could be a, a, a group of other yeah, countries, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it's very difficult for them to immediately replace yes, right, the yes. USD with, uh, let's say, a basket of currencies or just with a single currency. Mm. So you should actually see less use of US dollar slowly over mm. time. But it's not a direct replacement of mm. that. So I would say it's fragmentation instead of the dollarization. Mm. It's a fragmentation. That means it's not only with uh, Remipi, right? You know, certain countries may actually demand now that Latin you know, America you, you, trying you, to do their own. Yeah, yes. you, you could yes. actually ask, you know, if you are a major buying, a purchaser or something, right? You, you may now ask, hey, instead of using US dollar in their own currency, it could be the Brazilian real, it could mm. be whatever. So if Chile uh, actually exports a lot of copper and what have you or commodities, then they might price it off a currency that they pick, mm, that mm, they choose. Mm, mm, mm. This is uh, what market participants are talking about. Mm. So wait, I, I want to double down on, on something you were saying. It's like it's a slow burn. Yes, it's a right? slow burn. Are you saying that because this de-dollarization thing or this like, you know, reduction in the US dollar dominance is a slow burn. So on some level, you can actually write off this impact on your portfolio because there are many other factors within the short and medium term that are way more important than this slow burn. I think this slow burn or this secular trend is something that you have at the back of your mind. But in the immediate term, are there cyclical reasons or are there actually short-term factors that will drive US dollar more than others? It could mm -hmm. be, right? So in, in this case, I mean, the most immediate one would be, again, I go back to the this, debt ceiling. The right? debt ceiling mm -hmm. right? So if you have a, a default, there's no compromise. No, I don't care, you know? And we're not going to pay out to the teachers and what have you, you know? We're going to default <laughs> on our, our debt or coupons for our treasuries, then the US dollar might actually weaken very drastically, right? Crazy. So this becomes the cyclical reasons, right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. could actually have a bigger impact mm. on, let's say, the US dollar or whatever 
as a class that you are looking at. Mm-hmm. So there's a slow burn, acute reasons mm-hmm. for something to actually happen. The other mm-hmm. one could actually be decisions by the FOMC to raise rates or actually to pause mm-hmm. or even to cut. If the FOMC continues to, to raise rates in June, and if they say, you know, I'm going to raise rates by another 25 basis point, and they sort of come out and say, oh, and we're going to raise rates maybe a couple more times. Then the USD might actually, you know, strengthen on this, this news itself because, you know, with high interest rate means that yeah, it's drawing more the US dollar you know it's, it's more attractive to actually invest in, in the US yeah, right yeah. so there will be more funds flow there was into so the US there so much outflow from the yen and there was, yes. so, the, there was, <laughs> it was a crisis moment yeah. so, yeah. so the, the the decisions of the FOMC if, if they say something like you know I'm going to cut rates mm-hmm. then you know that could actually lead to a, a, a weaker dollar right mm-hmm. so there are factors that are more immediate that have a bigger impact on let's say USD well but if there's no acute factors then we go back to the the long slow burn right mm. there's the slow burn then takes over as the predominant factor yeah, uh, yeah, you I, have to like really it. look at I like it, it at, yeah, at, yeah, the, I, I, at the yeah. things you know, uh, time frame. Yes, and yes. also the importance within the time frame that you're looking at. Yeah, I love it. I, I love how you how you set out that that it's a frame of the of the mind, right? Like, how do you think about these factors? You know, like you you add a time to them, you add the kind of impact. You, know, you look at them from a you, you essentially contextualize it within your story, right? <laughs> right, essentially, right, and and not just not just go on news cycles because you know news people like, they always make it make everything sound like oh yeah it's gonna happen right so. Yeah. So there's, but, there's but, that part. Actually, for long-term stories, secular stories, there are many less secular stories out there, mm-hmm. right? Um, it could be things like, you know, just now you mentioned US-China rivalry. It could be things like demographics. Certain countries are aging. Aging. So mm-hmm. when it's aging, what are the stories out there? Mm-hmm. You know, certain sectors may benefit. Healthcare could be one of them. Or maybe automation mm-hmm. could be another one of them, right? Mm-hmm. So that secular story could actually drive investment. There'll be investment implications. There could be new theses being formed. And, you know, you can invest in those. I believe in. Mm. I think it's, it's going to be a major boost to productivity in the long future. It's going to change the way we live and it's going to displace certain jobs, unfortunately, but new jobs will be created, mm. right? We haven't really seen many business models or killer business models that are built around it at this moment. But sure enough, you know, I, I think we, we all would agree that this technology is actually very important. It is. It and is. it has a very long term implications yeah. more so than whatever you know metaverse that, that people are talking about <laughs> this is really something that is trans- transformational yeah, yeah. so as such you know it has got a long gestation period right yeah. the investment implications could be additional server farms that, that are required more computational power that's why uh, certain chip companies are rallying, mm-hmm. right? Um, certain chip companies. companies be, certain, <laughs> you know, you know. Lah, huh? Certain <laughs> business models <laughs> yeah, could actually yeah. be more attractive, like uh, maybe cloud, right? Mm, mm, mm. So actually, there are many, should I say, secular stories, mm, long-term mm, stories mm, out there, mm, interesting mm. stories. So is this a macro? Mm, Again, mm. we call, come back to this, right? Is yeah, this yeah. a macro core? Is this a micro core? Mm. I think it's both, right? So yeah, like I mentioned yeah, just yeah. now. Fair. Right, so if you believe in Chat GPT, a macro guy will say, "I say I've, I've seen a recent report. Actually, a number of reports have come out. Right, mm-hmm. so there are some reports that say, oh, you know, this Chat GPT or this AI thing could actually improve productivity, and the global GDP could grow by seven percent over a number of years. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are deliberately being slightly, you know, vague about it because there's no way for you to measure it. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so there are some reports that come out and say culturally." Certain countries, they adopt new technology faster than other countries. Mm. So, you know, I mean, case in point, US, right? Mm, mm. When, when they see a new technology immediately, you know, the people, entrepreneurs will actually jump into action. They'll mm, try mm. to see if there's ways that they can actually incorporate that into their business models and so on and so forth. You know, there's this cultural bias yes, or, yes, or this yes. country bias. Maybe some countries do not have the infrastructure mm. to actually to benefit from it. So the impact on different countries could be different. Mm. There could actually be a different thesis coming out from it that, oh, maybe on a longer run basis, mm, mm. certain countries, equities from certain countries could actually benefit more than others but from a micro basis you might now decide that oh based off this new application this new tool that we have out there how many more server farms are required Mm. and uh, for the server farms or what have you need a higher voltage let's say a power component Mm. Mm. right so certain companies Taiwanese companies that make certain power (laughs) components may benefit from this so very big very big what what is the revenue growth Uh, what is the margins because this Mm. higher value right higher Mm. powered components are of course 
more expensive than the lower power one. So yeah, yeah you can you can work out the revenues, the you know what is the growth but trajectory. There, but there's also the natural margin depreciation of technology, sure. right? But you see, for very long term stories, mm. sometimes you know it's difficult for us to see beyond a certain number of years. Mm. So mm. as a reasonable test, you do a a reasonable forecast out, let's say three years down the road. Mm. And uh, you use that as a basis to figure out, you know, three years down the road at this valuation, is this thing something that is attractive to me, right? Mm -hmm. So your thesis could be based off that. So longer term trends mm -hmm. are important and there's implications for top-down investing and also from bottom-up investing, depending, mm -hmm. right, on the thesis or the story that you're looking at. Nice, nice. I, I like how you tied the whole thing back, right? <laughs> so so that, that is good, that is good. L one last question, one last question for you about this whole thing like chasing hype, right? Essentially, because you, you brought out the whole AI thing, right? And you've been investing way longer, you know, I have a little bit of a few years, right? So there are all sorts of hype. Like back then, there was a cannabis hype, right? Then, <laughs> then there was an EV hype, right? There's a solar panel hype. And then every time when there's a hype, of course, the media will push it because that is their incentive. They want eyeballs, yep. right? And then uh, there will be funds flowing, you know, somehow that, that thing happens, you know, uh, whether is it retail, whether is it whatever, I mean, that's a different discussion, but funds flow. And then you start to see like what I will call hype funds come out, right? Like, so they will essentially fund houses will push out ETFs that are along this theme. And by the time they come into the space, right, the underlying stocks have all been pushed up. And then they come in, they buy at a relatively high valuation. And then they sell you the ETF when the hype is like there. Probability of it continuing, right, that, that is, is, is quite questionable. So, so I want to hear your thoughts around, around these kind of things like, should you chase a hype ETF because there will always be these kind of things popping out, different fund houses try to be ahead, they will push it out or should you just kind of let it taper off and then you enjoy the kind of longer term tail end uh, trends of it? Okay, so this is a very, very pertinent, very good question. Mm. I would not be too judgmental about it. Mm, 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 mm. I, I think there are all kinds of investors out there. Yeah. Okay. When there's a particular team, let's say, you know, it, it, it could be AI, it could be, mm. you know, EV, it could be, you know, whatever the, the theme uh, could be. Fund houses or maybe, you know, some uh, banks or have you, they might assemble a portfolio of yes. stocks to say, you know, these are the stocks that actually will benefit from whatever the theme is. Is this the tail end of it? Or does it always launch at the top? Answer is no, right? Mm. Sometimes there's still rooms for it to actually to power on, right? Where your homework comes in and also you must have a thesis, right? So if your thesis is that, oh, at current, I think this hype or this story or this excitement about this story or this trend is going to continue. At current, maybe, you know, on a price, price or earnings basis, it might be no earnings, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, at one stage, the SaaS company, Software mm, as a service, mm, right? Mm, mm. Companies that have not much earnings, so people use price to sales. Are they mad to use price to sales? Answer is no, right? Because at a point in time, I think there's a reasonable argument for why you want to use price to sales. You know, so you have to do your own homework. Is this valuation matrix that you are looking at, this story, is it reasonable? So if it's reasonable, it's something that you you feel that you know, there's still more potential for, then maybe it is a valid uh, investment thesis, right? for that time frame that you are. But you must always remember that what you are doing, if you are chasing momentum, the momentum can turn very quickly. So you have to be very nimble. You have to be constantly relooking your thesis itself and be updated with the latest information. So it really depends on the style of the, of the individual or the investors itself. If you're long-term investors with a daytime job where you're so busy, you look at the market <laughs> only in the evening, sometimes you forget, you know, you look at it once a week, then... I suggest that you do not have an investment thesis that requires you to look at la, it right, yeah, yeah. right every hour of the yeah, day yeah, or whatever, yeah. right. Fair, so fair, fair. because by the time you kneel, it's, like, eh? it's, it's too late, <laughs> right? Yeah, then you, you know? fall asleep the whole day, yeah. tired, fall asleep. Then, then you could be too late. So yeah. I, I would say that sometimes thematic funds or thematic ETFs they could have some more rooms to to mm, to, mm, to rise. Mm, mm. It is up to the individual to actually decide. But if you are longer-term investors, then you should look at uh, certain indicators to give yourself a certain reasonable test, right? Mm. So things like the valuations, mm. right? Are the valuations actually reasonable? Mm. Are they pricing in too much growth in the future? If they are pricing in something that's ridiculous amount of growth, Price then, to perfection right, or something. Yeah, then, then is it now a, you know, is this now really a reasonable thesis for you to invest in? So I always believe in this, right? For investment itself, sometimes, you know, there's this uh, fear of missing out, mm -hmm. right? Some listeners or some, friends or sometimes you know, they might ask hey, especially when so, they know you do this right yeah, so hey, what do you think of this what thing? do you think <laughs> then you, you give them the analysis and what yeah, have yeah. you 
and they decide that oh this is too risky for me mm-hmm. or I don't have the capacity to chase this mm-hmm. because I don't have the time or what have you then they don't invest in it and the share price continues to rise mm-hmm. and then they have this regret they, right? they say oh hey, no they have to you like that like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I know I know well, <laughs> I think important thing for investors to remember and it happens to everybody is actually to know your circumstances what Mm. is actually relevant to you Mm, mm, and don't be forced into making an investment because of FOMO. If you don't earn from a particular investment it's of no relevance to you. right? mm, mm, mm. But what's important is that you you increase the odds that you benefit or that you win in whatever bets that you put at and you minimize the losses because some of your bets are, are, are going to turn out bad. Right? So you generally should actually try to have less. You, you should have a less losses than you know, whatever gains that, that you actually have. So by being cautious, do your homework, don't chase. If you if you, if don't, you don't have the ability, to, the ability to, then then you you increase your odds of a more fruitful investment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for your time. No love problem. It, with love that. it, love it. Stay tuned all the way after these quick notes for our personal money question segment. Before that, I hope you've learned something useful today. Join our Telegram group, follow us on our socials, and check out thefinancialcoconut.com. Okay, I have uh, three questions that I ask everybody sure. at the end. Uh, number one is, what has been your best and worst investment you've ever made? My best investment? Uh, silver. Silver? Yes. Uh, so you got the silver rally. I, I got, got a huge silver rally. Again, it's, it's a macro thesis, right? Yes, yes. The gold price went to its previous peak. Mm. Silver mm. doesn't. And it was actually at the doldrums. This is you know, nothing to do with my firm, right? It's just mm. uh, my own personal thinking was that silver is partially precious metal like like gold. Mm. If gold rallies, means that the precious metal part is interesting, right? But half of silver is industrial and it's being used in solar panels. If the idea of this uh, environmentally friendly thing goes on, people uses more solar in my view, the use of uh, silver goes up, right? Mm. So at, at one stage when silver was too far away from the gold price, I, I actually bought in silver and well, that turned out to be a good investment. Nice, nice. Yeah, okay. What 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 is the worst then? Oh, the tech stocks during the Y2K boom. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I, I lost a lot of money. It was because of uh, lack of homework. Mm. You know, I don't blame anybody. You know, it's just it's just that, right? And so as such, I bought into some fairly bad stocks. That's okay. You came out the other end, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. to be fair, that period was quite bad for a lot of families, not just lose money only. When you are young and you are learning, there's a, you know, we say xue fei, right? You know, sometimes <laughs> you, you make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. But your fei not too high, right? You in, control in a, a little uh, bit. In, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in yeah, the... Yeah. Early stage, try to control the amount of bets that you put in, mm-hmm. right? You learn along the way, build up your knowledge. I guess over time, your hitting bets becomes better, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Next question. What is one thing under $100 that you spend that has been a game changer? You know, those uh, watches that... The Fitbit type of thing, is yeah. it? Uh, but because, you know, I was actually, you know, 10 plus years ago, I was uh, quite obese. Mm-hmm. I got that and then uh, it measures my heart rate and at the same time it clocks the number of uh, steps or oh. a, a distance that I run mm-hmm. and uh, with that actually it helped me improve my health right? nice. so, so I ended up running quite a number of uh, half marathons Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last one. One place you learn that you think is underrated. I do write a, a, a newsletter. If you go to Google Alliance Global Investors, then you probably will find us. We try to make investment demystify investment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We try to write uh, on the market itself. On a quarterly basis, we have our own outlook. On a monthly basis, we try to do a look back, mm-hmm. meaning to tell you, let's say people are very busy, right? So on a monthly basis, they look at it and they know oh, these are the pertinent issues that happen. Mm. That's why the market was this way, right? Mm. Last month or for the last uh, year to date or whatever the, the number was, right? And these are the things that investors are looking out for. So on a monthly basis, we try to put out a, a newsletter. Maybe to, I wouldn't say educate, but I will say, you know, to inform investors, mm. right? Who could, could potentially be our, our clients. So we have put in a lot of effort. Yeah, mm, I know you put a lot of effort yes, <laughs> yes, in, yes. into this thing. Yes, yes. Do, do, do take a look at it. I, I mm. hope it will be of uh, value to the listeners. Nice. Lion Global Investors. Uh, investors. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very you. much, Reggie. Love it.